Welcome to another episode of the Use the Game podcast. And today's guest, we have Tim Haynes, a former Tennessee State University women's basketball player and HBCU alum. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Use Game Podcast. I have um, former Tennessee State Guard Division One athlete, Kim Haynes, um, who is now uh, taking on a different path of becoming a basketball official. So how you doing, Kim? I'm good. good. Um, you know, life fun to, to appreciate it. <laughs> No, thank you for um, jumping on with me. So tell me about um, your path and, and what are you doing now? Um, and we'll kind of get into your story a little bit. Um, so my path to Division One. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, uh, man, born and raised in Dallas, Texas. So it started, my path started here in Dallas. Uh, I would like to say it started in middle school. I made a commitment to myself uh, that I wanted to go and play Division I basketball. I haven't planned for a while um, up into middle school. And then middle school is where it shifted for me, where I was like, nah, I'm taking this D1. Uh, left there, went to uh, Dallas Skyline, had a great time there, was coached by one of the best, uh, Cassandra McCurdy. Did well. Um, and then had a few offers, but they just wasn't the division ones that I wanted. And so I decided to go JUCO, uh, went over to Cisco Junior College. Man, some of the toughest basketball in my life. I'll tell you right now, JUCO, division one JUCO is harder than division. And so uh, left Cisco Junior College and ended up at Tennessee State where I had some of the best times of my life playing division one basketball like, like I had said that I wanted to do. So, so I got that. Right. So a lot of people like right now we talk about uh, the transfer portal uh, that a lot of people, <laughs> men's and women's basketball, and what people, what high school students are not understanding right now is that that's where all the athletes are, you know, kind of coming from. They're coming from JUCO. So JUCO is honestly right now the place to be um, if you want to earn uh, a Division One scholarship. So talk about you know um, your preparation uh, from. Was it easy for you to transition from a uh, from sorry from JUCO to Division One? Yes, uh, the only the only struggle was just I would say location of class. Honestly, uh, as far as like athletics and being a basketball player, like I said, JUCO was harder than Division One, and not that Division One isn't hard, but because I went JUCO, I feel like I was in better shape. Um, and because I went to a Division One JUCO, because you know the JUCOs are, right. are rated or whatever, because I was playing against other future Division One athletes every night, I felt like I was more prepared for the speed of the game. Um, I had to lead at a young age, you know, being a freshman at a JUCO Division One, I had to lead. So. I felt like I was I was more prepared to take on a leadership role. And so, um, I mean, Tennessee was a vibe. I love Tennessee. And so that was easy switching from the country to a to a bigger city. But I would suggest if you 
if you have the opportunity or the privilege to go to a Division One JUCO, do it because it's it's gonna prepare you in a way that high school is not. Got you, got you. So tell me if you know. Um, tell me about your AAU team right now um, that you have, and share with me uh, what are you doing with your AAU squad that you have. Uh, so. AU team, we are we two years old, so we young in the game. But uh, I I've been coaching AU probably for three or four years now, and just seeing seeing the circuit. So the AU circuit is, you know, you got your top one hundred kids, or you got your five star kids, but then you got a lot of kids that kind of fall in that middle. You know, maybe they're not five star, but they're not the worst kids. And they got some athletic ability and maybe they got a few limitations that five-star kids don't have. And so with my AU team, we are comprised of a, of a bunch of kids that's in the middle. And I think that to decide to be elite, to decide to be a five-star kid is a decision that I can't help you with. Like you have to literally decide that that's what you're going to do and you got to go achieve that. And so uh, with my AU program, I got kids that really love the game are really good at it, but they not right, they not five-star yet. We talking three-star, four-star, some two-star, but but definite role players. And so with my team, I try to stress the fact of what do you want to do with basketball? Uh, very similar to, to your brand, use the game. What is your goal with basketball? Because if we in high school and most of my girls are freshmen, sophomores, I got a few uh juniors, but most of them are freshmen and sophomores. But if you're in high school right now and you are not labeled as a five-star player, even if you are, what is your goal with basketball? What's, what's your point? What do you want to do with it? And so we talk a lot about, you know, going to college. When you get to college, what are you studying? What do you want to do when you get out of college? Because if the WNBA overseas is your goal, then we have to prepare for that as well. But just kind of teaching them the different levels because not only did I play JUCO, I played Division One, but then when I left Tennessee State, I went to Southeastern Oklahoma and Durant and coached Division Two, and a, a great Division Two program. Um, I think we went to like the conference finals, semifinals, or whatever. But a great program. And so I, I feel like I've seen the game at a lot of different levels. And so what I to my girls is more education on how to select the best school for you that you're going to be able to use it for what it's worth and get the best basketball experience right so now like you said you've seen all levels and the biggest um what do you see from okay because when i first when when we first met um i knew you were it because the way you kind of came in i knew that you were kind of laid back and um, you, were, you weren't as like, oh my gosh, you know, some recruits come on visits and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe y'all got this and stuff like that. So you always, you were never too high or too low, you know what I'm saying? And you always kind of, um, you never really spazzed out, you know, when, when stuff, when things get tough, you all kind of have a, a almost a, like a Kobe Bryant mama mentality, right? Um, you just did what you had to do. So what do you see now in your what uh 
five between five and ten years now what do you see has changed in women's basketball and men's basketball what have you what's the differences that you think there is now between these athletes um well we definitely have social media and that's on both sides so social media is a gift and a curse because it either expands you or exposes you and so you always know the kids that are putting in the work because they have the footage, right? Because you, you can't make highlight tapes if you don't have highlights, right? right. So, and these are like not the same game, not the same clips. Like these are consistent. You know, these kids uh, post maybe being shared by, um, what is it, Overtime or, you know, all the different platforms. And so you start to see that separation on social media. That's, that's one, that's a huge deal. Uh, and then two, I think that the separation in elite is getting bigger. And so now you see like a elite kid is so much better on the girl side and the boy side. It's so much better than a kid that's not elite. And so when I was coming up or about five years ago, it was real close. Like everybody was, everybody was a dog. Everybody was close. Everybody brought something to the game. And now you see, you can, you can coach a game or watch a game and see one kid dominate the whole game. Right. And let's say before you had to have a team, like you had to be in Shaq, you know, it wasn't enough just to have a Kobe. Like you had to have two, but now you can win with just one um, because the separation is so big. Right. Um, and I think on the girl side specifically, and I hate to like always point to the WNBA, right? Mm -hmm. right? Because it's not their fault. But because it's not, it's not really a, a future in the WNBA mm -hmm. that is like, it has like real financial significance, you know what I mean? And so a lot of people, you know, you want to go to the NBA, the guys have the NBA, you can be on the bench in the NBA and be making half a million dollars. Right. But that only rarely does that happen in the WNBA. And so now I think the desire for young women to play is going, is getting down. And then also exposure. I referee high school, I referee third graders. And oftentimes in urban areas, these kids don't start playing until the sixth or seventh grade. But out here in the suburbs, these kids have been playing since kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And so that huge separation where certain kids aren't exposed to sports until they in middle school. And now it's, it's almost too late. Especially right. if you compete in a game they've been playing since they were in Canada. They got seven years on you. That's a lot. Right. So you brought up a good point. Um, and I talk about this all the time. Uh, it was a gentleman in our area. You know, I coach in Illinois. Well, I coach in Indiana, but I live in Illinois. But in Illinois, got some, like you said, you got some dogs in Illinois. And they're playing to get out the hood, right? Indiana, you know, you got some, you know, kids who – they like it. They don't love it. Love you know it. what I'm saying? So it's just like, uh, so, you know, he brought up a certain team in the area and I'm like, well, do you, do you get that 
when you come from a different background, um, what they're exposed to versus what a, a black kid is exposed to um, of having a certain trauma, their processing skills and their mindset is totally different from somebody who has not only one parent, but two parents in the house, right? And they're getting uh, nourishment each day. They're getting, they're getting the nutrients from both parents, right? They're getting everything that they need. And these kids are probably been playing with each other forever, right? But we're talking about processing. We're talking about the, the whole mindset of what goes into, did you take out the garbage? Okay, well, did you go set a good screen? That correlates to something because if I told you five times to take out the garbage and I told you five times to set the screen, do you do the same stuff at home that you're doing on a basketball court? You know, so um, that's what I kind of hit on. And so from you, right, what's your philosophy? What do you stand on? Because now me, I've coached at certain levels, right? But I haven't played at the highest level, you know. So, what what do you? What are your pillars? What do you stand on when you get a new kid, or when you have to have a conversation with a you know a parent about about who you are as a as a coach? Well, first and foremost, I it, for me it's about relationship first. Mm-hmm. So, first I, I need to have a relationship with the kid in order to coach the kid. I think that coaches are confused with the generation that we that we service today. Coaching is a service, right? And so if I'm providing a service to a certain community, I have to know that community. And certain kids need different things from me. And so first, first I want I want to know the kid. Like I want to know who they are, what they aspire to be. You know, I want to pay attention to their mannerisms and things like that. So I'm a relationship first. Mm. Uh, I believe that kids need to like you <laughs> to play for you. Like, because when things get tough and, and they don't have the ability to pull it out of them, when you're trying to pull it out of them and they don't like you, it's that's way more, way more difficult. Um, I'm also really laid back in the way that I coach. I am a... I'm going to give you the instructions and I'm going to watch you do it. I'm not a coach that uh, is all on top of you. At this point, my kids are in high school. I teach accountability. So you were supposed to shoot 500 shots. You were supposed to run your mouth. <laughs> Did you do it? I may check. I may not check. But it don't, me checking doesn't matter. What matters is if you did it. And if you did it, it'll show up. Mm-hmm. And if you did it, it'll show up. Right. I, I, and my, my coaching staff, they, they be like, I'm too nice. I'm not about punishing a kid for something they didn't do. Life is going to punish you. <laughs> the game is going to punish you. Like mm-hmm. scholarship is going to punish you. And so I don't need to, to add to that. I'm just going to allow you. Now I'll give you some guidance. I'll give you some encouragement. I'll, you know, remind you, but this has to be about you. This can't be about Coach Kim. It can't be about your parents. Uh, it has to be about you. So relationship, accountability, uh, and just being being a responsible athlete. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'll and I'm a question coach. And so one of my one of my players, she, she when she dresses up, she had on some heels one day. 
when she was at school and I was like, so did you have an ankle injury? And she was like, uh, <laughs> she didn't even answer the question because she already know that that's not a smart athletic decision. Mm-hmm. You just have an ankle injury. I know you want to be cute and you should be, but should you be taking it to the extreme of wearing heels? But you got to think like that. Because you're saying that I want to take this body and go to South Carolina and go to South Carolina with bad ankles. And so you're going to risk what you want for looking cute today. Okay. But I I let them, I let, I let them make a lot of decisions because life, life is going to be the best teacher. Um, I also like to, to highlight what kids are good at. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm that's like I am highlighting your strengths uh, and allowing you to work on your weaknesses. Yeah. If it isn't a good ball handler, I'm not the coach that in the game is going to put them in the situation to expose that they're not a good ball handler. <laughs> but I am the coach that's running them off a screen to a cut where you ain't ever dribbled. <laughs> you took laid it up, right? And so I, I try to add value to every aspect of the game. I talk to kids about rebounding, which is, was huge for me uh, in Cisco and at Tennessee State. Um, the value of rebounding, the value of possessions, the value of defense, because some of y'all cannot create your own shot. So again, I'm dealing with three-star, four-star, some two-star kids. Some of you cannot create your own shot, but you're a great defender or you're a great rebounder. Okay, so maybe let's let's figure out how you getting a steal turns into points because we know that college coaches are looking at the first stat they're looking at is points. Can you score? Can you add points to our team? Can you add value? Right? Then they're looking at how you do it, right? Right. If you get five steals a game, five steals could easily turn into 10 points. You know, if you get five rebounds a game. Five rebounds could easily turn into 10 or 15 points. Let's say you get a rebound offense and one. That's three, you know, versus you worrying about not being able to create your own shot. Mm-hmm. Do what you do best and be great at it. Like, be amazing at that thing. Right. Um, and then last is I remove the parents. That's the last thing I do. Parents, you have to be detached. You have, and it's it's so hard for parents to do this because they care, they spending their money, it's their baby, all of that. I said, you got to care way less than them. You, you got to care way less than them. You got to cheer louder than, than you yell. Um, and you just got to, you, you almost have to not care. Like, right. if you get a scholarship, it don't matter to me. Now, how they gonna get to college or how they gonna pay for it or whatever, that's something else. But if you care more than them, to them, you made it about you, not necessarily them. And so, I mean, that's the last one, but that's the hardest battle. <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, you made some great points. Just the fact that you sound like, you sound like me, you know, just talking about respecting the game, right? Um, we had a uh, we had a meeting with our players yesterday about respecting the game, and I talked to them about you know another Tennessee State legend, John McClendon, and how he sacrificed you know being with James Naismith and um, 
not being a great teammate, you know, you're not respecting the game, not pointing to your guy when he makes a great pass. That's not respecting the game. Um, not helping your teammate off the floor. That's not respecting the game. Being late to practice, that's not respecting the game. So when you when you said that, you know, um, you have to you have to figure out how are you cheating the game each day? You know, when you said, are you putting up those jump shots? Are you are you doing the extra work? It's gonna show. It's going to show. Have you been working on your speed and your quickness? Have you taken care of your body? Um, one of my biggest pet peeves is right not stretching properly. Um, I pride myself on being a champion at stretching and doing your your uh, your dynamic stretches before a game because um, if I can have less injuries throughout a year, that gives me a shot when it comes to the end of the year and I'm vying for a championship. You know what I'm saying? So like um, you brought some great points up. So, you know, kind of the next thing is talk about your HBCU experience from an academic, you know, we kind of talked about the athletics, you know what I'm saying? But um, would you change that experience? Why or why not? If I could change the experience, it would only be that I would have been there for four years um, instead, of, instead of the two. If I could really go back I would have redshirted my first year um, and like really dove into to Tennessee State. Like I feel like I was there and I, I enjoyed every moment, but it was short. And two years back then sound like a long time, but now I look back like it it went by so quickly. Right. And so if I could change it, that, that would be what I would do. I would redshirt and I would um, would have been there for three years or four years. As far as academic. Academics. I mean, I got an exercise science degree, and so I mean, there were requirements, but because I went to JUCO, I had all I had already had the basics. So when I got to Tennessee State, I was in the fun part of my course. You know, I'm into the part where we actually have to come up with a workout, or we actually have to plan something. We actually get to look at the science of exercise. We actually are talking about the psychology of sports. Like, so I actually enjoyed my academic coursework when I was at Tennessee State because it wasn't like English 100 right, like, right. or math or college. I, I was really doing like the stuff I do now. I remember uh, Miss Gentry, we had to we had to make the lesson plan and we had to present it and we had to have class and, you know, kids got, students got to act up. Like we had fun. We had, I had an officiating class. Now, officiating class, we, we learned the rules. We, we talked about it, but we just, we really didn't dive into how it's like really a career. It was like a side, like a side situation like oh yeah they play and it's officials but nobody's like being an official as a career and so I mean academics was cool the the campus was great the culture was great I mean I I wish every kid African-American could go to HBCU awesome awesome so let's so let's dive into the officials so so when did you, when did that become a a thing for you? I mean, that's that's 
you know, that experience jumping from a player to now you you're on the other side. You looking like the you looking like the bad, bad woman now, you know. I'm the ops. I'm the ops now. I'm the ops. I mean, I I'm so glad I made the transition. Um, it happened like honestly two years ago. Um my best friend is an official. You've seen some of us in reels and stuff. And she's been an official for like four or five years. And so we used to joke around. She's like, man, you need to be official. Like, these kids don't want to be coached. Like, and it's more money, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, man, this is my passion. Like, I love coaching these kids, right. you know. And then COVID happened, right? And so it just, it was just available employment right and so I was like okay cool I'm gonna go into it so I go into it and I'm naturally good at it because I've been around the game a lot you know know the game but the hiccup was I had never read the rule book I had been playing basketball since I was about seven and I have never I ain't never read it I ain't never seen well I seen it when we were in college but it was it was brief like like I ain't seen it. I ain't never read it. I ain't even know some of that stuff was in there. And so it was literally like falling in love with basketball all over again because the game looked different when you know the rules. Like basketball becomes like comedy when you really know the rules and you hear people saying like, that's over the back. And you're like, there's no such thing as that. Like that is nowhere <laughs> in the rule or they saying that's backcourt and it's like mm-hmm. well that's self-pass you like mm-hmm. this is funny like like and that's why rest be smiling a lot because one we know more than what you know and then two you are absolutely wrong like I had a parent go off because of a jump ball jump ball situation the last jump ball the other team got it and then something happened and at halftime when we came back from the third quarter the other team got it again. And she was like, you gave the last one, blah, blah, blah. And so then the coach explained and she was, she just shrunk. She was just like, oh yeah. And so we laugh at that, but man, I enjoy being the ops. Like I enjoy being the ops. I enjoy dealing with coaches and dealing with athletes. I think, you know, because I play, I'm a little, I'm a little more lenient on contact sometimes. Now I call the game in regards to the rules, but I'm that ref that's like, if it didn't affect where you were going or what you were doing, I'm get your bucket. Like I'm not, you know, and so man, it, it's been it's been great. I'm really, really enjoying the game from this perspective and looking forward to taking it to division one, taking yeah. it to the w. Yeah, and we, and we need, you know, as coaches, and I, you know, I listen to your podcast as well, and, you know, everything that you all were saying, just as far as, you know, the parents yelling, because I will tell, you know, when I was a head coach, and I think some people get, uh, they get confused. They're like, well, why'd you, why you resign? It's like, it's always negative when you, when you resign from a position. It's like, well, I wanted something different from myself. And when you when you come to the end of a journey, you know, you, you want change. And so like the school I, I'm at now, you know, and, and talking to the Crown Rest, uh, talking to Paul uh, a few weeks ago, um, us as coaches, right? If we know the rules, uh, individual like yourself, you say, hey, 
I'm going to let that contact go. I'm like, I love it, you know, because I'm like, if you let that contact go, then I can then tell my players, hey, you're going to have to play through some contact. And what Coach Williams used to say, offense won't contact, defense don't, right? So I use that, you know, create contact. Um, now, is it to trick the ref? No. But the refs, like in Indiana, right, they allow us to be a little bit more aggressive. And then we, when we go down south, we get to Indianapolis, and it's like every every five seconds, it's a whistle. Like, my gosh, can you let us? It's a contact sport. So, you know, how much uh, will you let go? But if you're going to establish the way the game is going to flow, then let the coach know early, hey, we're going to – this is our group. We're going to allow you all to play. And then so you won't get the – you won't get the uh, the coaches being upset when things change. You know, that's the worst thing. Uh, from, from me being on the sideline is when you change up. You know, you told me, well, you told me this one thing, you know, is the game going to be, are we going to, we going to hack a shack the whole game or, cause we need to know because I need to prepare my players to adjust to the officials, but you know, it depends on what officials you get, but in Indiana, so we're not allowed to stand up and coach um, the assistant, right? So I'm getting used to that because being a head coach, I'm standing up the whole game, but basketball has evolved so much that I'm like, I said, I get the officials, like y'all trying to get us, but we're coaching. Like you have a defensive coach. You might have an offensive coach in high school now. So that's my issue with Indiana. It's just so strenuous uh, with officiating and, and then JV games. I don't know how you all do in Texas, but we have two JV refs and these are like dudes who are like 70 and 80 just off the street. You know, so that's that's kind of that's kind of my you know that's my hiccups with with the state of Indiana right now, and we don't have a shot clock. I would love to have a shot clock. So, what are your thoughts on um, shot clocks? Um, I mean, it it doesn't affect me. Right, as it doesn't a, affect you, right? Um, I I would like them. It is it doesn't really affect me. Um, in close games in high school. I think it may be beneficial, but I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm impartial to it, but I think that as far as consistency with officiating, I think sometimes you have to look at the whole game, you know, because some contact may, all contact may lead to contact, right? right. Some contact is incidental. Uh, and so, but contact can, can get progressively, worse right and so hold on one second so some contact is literally incidental and so when incidental contact happens you know official will let that go right but then sometimes contact grows right so now we become more physical because it could be a bunch of things like it could be you coach coach getting on me because i'm not playing defense you know I seen kids foul somebody to shut their coaching. Like, like I'm doing it. You know what I'm saying? And so that that can happen. Or there could be conversations going on out there on the court. And so if there are any conversations that you you're not even paying attention to because you're coaching and you're you're dealing with the bench and you making sure subs and all of that. So you're not really paying attention to maybe the conversations that's going on between them at the free throw line or out of bounds or whatever they're saying to each other. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, I got to come in and get 
this contact because it can escalate to something that's a technical foul or ejection. And that's what you want as an official. And so you want to make sure that the game is safe and you want to manage it. Um, Here in Texas, we... It's just different. What what I what I could say about officiating in Texas is you never know who you're gonna get. So I never know, well I know before I go, but like I don't always know the my coefficient, right? And sometimes the first time me meeting this person, he or she is when we get to the game. And so we get to the game, we have about thirty minutes to kind of chop it up and talk about how how we plan to officiate this game and it's important for us to be not only consistent throughout the game, but consistent on both ends, right? And so I pride myself as an official on being consistent on calling stuff on both ends. So if I'm calling this a charge on the other end, when it happens on your side, sometimes I can hear coaches say, oh, charge. Yes, because that's exactly the same thing that happened on this end and happened on this end, and I want to get the same call because I want that consistency. If Now, granted, if it's not, then it's not. But I want to be consistent. And you want your coefficient to be consistent. And I think coaches have to, I mean, think about it like my kids. You might have a kid that that is really playing a great game the first quarter and then get into the third quarter and he can't hit a shot. Sometimes that's the way they officiate and work. Like, it's no contact. It's easy. It's good. And then it gets aggressive, you know. So you got to let the game, you know, progress. I think with officials, it's all about communication. It really is. Like, how you talk to officials. Mm-hmm. If you handle correctly, I'm going to handle you correctly. And that's me ha- having a conversation with you and me making sure that everything is taken care of on the court. That's yeah. in my control. And so, yeah. yeah, no, coaches better with with that, like yeah. how how you talk to the official. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's enough conversations with officials. Um, and one, uh, what I don't like, right? Um, and the reason why I'm kind of doing these, you know, these episodes is because not only is it, you know, Black history is all all year round, right? We know that from being right. black that we it shouldn't. I don't. I don't even think this should. This is Black History Month. Black 365. Right, yeah. So, like, my thing is, even with that, you know, but in our area, right, officials, the Black officials, why do the Black officials only ref the Black games? You know what I'm saying? The the Black team. And it shouldn't be that way because when you get to the NBA, right, and when when you get to the WNBA, you get to college, there's a diversity. So, let's, and and I, I was watching Brad Underwood, the coach of Illinois. He said, we're the only country that the game is not like on one, like the same page. Like there's so many rules from this and that. And we talk about shot clocks and we talk about lane lines. We're the only country that has all these different rules. And then now a kid coming from uh, uh, high school into division one, it's like, oh, well, uh, in high school, you're not gonna get that same call in college. You know what I'm saying? Or, yeah, I now have to get used to the shot clock. But I like what you said about, you know, uh, having those conversations because I pride myself in, because I know you're human at the end of the day, right? You're not going to make every call. So I pride myself. I only got one technical in my time as a head coach. And all I did was clap my hands and I said, call a foul. You know, and at this point, yeah, I'm frustrated because, one, the team we played, should have not been beating us because they had not won any games. I, I call them trap games. And 
I was frustrated, but the technical, you know, and I talked to Paul about this, you know, as you, as you give me a technical, then there should be a shift, right? You should, you don't have any, okay, you take me up, right? You go ahead and walk the other way. You don't have to walk past me. You don't have to say anything else to me because, you know, like I said, it becomes a thing of like, if you feeling that offended by me saying call a foul, one, I'm emotional, right, at that point. So as a, as a good official, right, it's not for you to, you know, come up to me and just in my face and just, you know, you give me one of those. It's like, wait, okay, chill. Like hold on, <laughs> right? Like hold on, like, like are we are we about to are we about to go to blows or what are we doing? Because I'm like I get it, hey, settle. You got me settled by calling technical foul, but I might have got it to pump my team up too because they wasn't playing how they needed to play. And in the NBA, you know, a lot of these coaches see and they watch other things. But um, no, these conversations have to happen, and I know nobody any, nobody wants to be yelled at. But also, being a black official, you know, I'm a big believer in. It. You shouldn't only get the, you know, urban games. And you see a lot of that uh, in Indiana where you have, you know, the black officials only doing the urban games and they don't get the, you know, other games. Or um, the black coach, right? The black coach, Bobby Knight threw a chair on the floor. So you mad because of my energy, because I'm coaching my team with high energy. Bruce Pearl can run around the floor, take his shirt off, right? We glorify that. Yeah. As soon as the black coach... Mm -hmm you know, kind of goes into a, a rant or a rave. It's like, oh, coach, you need to settle down. Wait, but you're not telling the, the coach on, on these other levels to, to settle down. So, you know, it's that stereotype, right, of, of trying, to, trying to get rid of that. So um, I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you, you know, for what you're doing, uh, your growth, um, not only as a, uh, a black female, but as a, uh, as a mentor. Um, as a as a role model, right? Building those relationships, not only with black kids, because um, sometimes people don't understand. Like, we're not scary. We can have relationships with everybody. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and race so, is not don't matter in this. Race point. does like, not matter because you know no. I deal with um, other races when I coach, and they love me just the same. And I know, and it's because they have to get to know you, right? Building relationships in this game. So I'm definitely no, thankful. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying I'm definitely thankful for the relationships that I've I've been able to build. But go ahead. No, I I, I agree. I have you know relationships with you know all different races. I, my school that I teach at is predominantly and and um so just just building those relationships with all all races is important. I think that you have to learn how to be bicultural. Like you have to learn how to. Um, you know, immerse yourself in whatever culture that you're in at the time or whatever. Uh, but I will say here in Texas, uh, I'm a little bit more hesitant and not really hesitant to say, but it's almost flip-flop, right? So you have, you have just more experienced officials getting the, the African-American games. But I think that it's because it's the experience level is not necessarily the race um and the just the way that that is scheduled you know and, but i will say too that i think that male officials give less leeway in female games 
So male officials are way quicker to call fouls in female games and way quicker to call jump balls. I have had a jump ball in front of me and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna allow these girls to be strong, right? Somebody can rip it out. I'm going to give you a few seconds to do Mm -hmm. that because we do that. Right. right? Girls, they so quick to call it. And, you know, so there's, there's the stereotype, you know, they're so quick to call a block or, or a foul in the girls game in the boys game, you may let that go. Uh, I would per se, like, I prefer to ref a game that it's not, it's not about race. I like the diversity, mm-hmm. you know, I like to see black kids, white kids, Hispanic kids, Asian kids. I like to see all the kids play. Now we'll say African-American male coaches are, are, are not more theatrical, but the, when you guys get emotional mm-hmm. to me, cause I'm African-American, right. right? I'm not as threatened by it. Like, I'm not like, um, you know, same thing with, with white male coaches. Right. Like, like when they, because I've been in so many cultures, when they become emotional, they're normally passive aggressive, but you know, and black coaches are normally more emotional. You more like hands and movements and, right. you know, white coach may say something that's like, okay, hold on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I think it just, it's about knowing your community officiating is a service yeah so if i'm serving community i have to know the community that i'm serving like when i go into the suburbs i know what i'm about to get to when i go into the south i know what i'm about to get into Mm -hmm. because i can respect the culture and the community that i'm servicing right now right no i definitely um that's why i wanted to get you on because a lot of people um what you just said, like the WNBA, you know, just officiating the WNBA, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's terrible sometimes. The fact that I'm like calling the call every five seconds. I went to a game, the Sky in Minnesota played, and the ref actually tripped over James Wade and he called a technical foul. I was like, whoa, like, you know, just give him a warning. Yeah, yeah I get it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's I'm in like, the rule book. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen it, yeah. but because I didn't know. You know, or nobody said it, you know, to me, then it's like, okay, it's foreign. But a lot of these conversations need to be had. And uh, what you're doing and being a part of the Crown Refs um, as well, um, being the HBCU alum, all this is important because it's about our growth, right? It's about our process and what we're becoming in our process. Mickey Johnson uh, seen something posted a couple of days ago, and it's, it's vital. Um, Tennessee State, did it, did it make him? No, it didn't make him. But did it help her matriculate into being who she is? It helped because it allowed you to see some things, allow me to be a relationship. And that's why we're talking. That's why we're connected. So that, you know, that's the kind of purpose of, of, of the podcast and me growing and how are we grow in the game. How are we becoming uh, better individuals from this game, this simplified yeah. game of putting a basketball in a round circle and look how many, you know, a game. When we break it all down, it's That's just a game. Game. <laughs> Yeah, somebody made it up. <laughs> we, somebody, I mean, we know exactly who, but they literally, right. somebody really made it up. Exactly. And exactly. we have made a livelihood out of it. Exactly. And, and so, and I'm thankful, you know, and I'm thankful for all the relationships uh, that I've had, you know, during my time. And I want you to keep going. And like anything that you need from me, I say I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, anything you need from me, 
you know, just hit me up from a, from a coach's perspective. Like I said, I'm learning about, I'm trying to get my head coach. I'm like, look, man, hey, we're not getting no technicals this year. We're not getting, you know what I'm saying? So I'm excited. Yeah. That's a challenge to me, you know? Um, so you keep striving. Um, I'm going to make sure uh, I have this out. Might have it out by the end of the day. Uh, just depends on okay. uh, what I got. But I definitely appreciate you jumping on with me. Keep doing what you're doing, all right? Man, thanks thanks for selecting me. I, nah. I'm glad I'm at the podcast. It's going to blow up. I'm excited. And I'm going to keep watching it. We'll keep communicating. No you know, doubt. We locked in. Locked in, definitely for life. All right. I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. You too. Have a good one. You too.